Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Canada, Ireland, the United Kingdom, France, Netherlands, Argentina, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead right-winger in history from Greece. Starting out in the United States, a hate crime, or at least what is pretty clearly a hate crime, has been committed against three Palestinian students in the United States state of Vermont. Police and other law enforcement officials are still hesitating to describe this as a hate crime, but what happened is that a white man named Jason Eaton shot three men who were Palestinian after leaving his house. You know, he was just like sitting on his porch, he saw them walking, and he walked up to them and he shot them this weekend. Now, if that's not a hate crime, I really sort of don't know what it is. The three men who were shot were all Palestinian students who were studying in New England universities. They were students at Brown, Haverford, and Trinity College, respectively. They were spending Thanksgiving break with one of their uncles who lives in Burlington, the Vermont city where this occurred. This is the biggest city in Vermont. Two of the victims are recovering. One of them is in a more serious condition. Eaton was arrested and allegedly basically like gave himself up and was like, hey, I was waiting for you, the cops, to come and get me. I want to talk to a lawyer. This sounds like somebody who knew what he was doing, if you ask me. This is also pretty much substantiated by his posts on social media, which are pretty clearly right-wing unhinged shit, mostly in a libertarian bent, but also with some racism, some anti-vax stuff. A lot of it he took down pretty recently, and so some of it is quite hard to find, but some investigative journalists found some pretty damning pieces of evidence that indicate that this guy is probably a pretty right-wing person, at least, you know, in a sort of like quasi-libertarian New England type way, which really gives credence to the idea that this was indeed a hate crime. Continuing on to other right-wing news in the United States, major brands continue to leave Twitter slash X over its ties to fascism, slash, you know, in general, its descent into a multi-billion dollar and public and non-anonymous 4chan, you know, not, not exactly a, a really nice platform to attach your identity to. Major promoters and companies that have left the company include, for example, Disney, one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world. Elon Musk, the owner of the company and no longer its CEO, has reportedly in meetings told these executives, again, literally the CEO of Disney, he has told them, and this is apparently a quote, to go fuck yourself. Apparently that's a direct quote from this uh, man who's descending into a sort of like right-wing midlife crisis. You know, he, he bought something really expensive that turned out to not be particularly useful, and now everybody hates him again, right? Like that's, that's what Musk's experience here is. Moving on to Canada, this is a piece of belated and partial justice for the victims of a misogynistic hate crime. A so-called incel murderer of a woman who was working at a massage parlor in 2020 has been sentenced to life in prison this week in Toronto, Canada. The perpetrator, whose name I will not share because partly because he was a minor at the time and that is how Canadian law worked, although his name is now public, and also partly in order to avoid uh, idolizing him or to publicize his identity specifically. He killed a woman at this massage parlor with a short sword, which was inscribed with a right-wing misogynistic slur. 
He also severely injured the owner of the establishment, cutting her in her arm and on her hand. He was sentenced to charges of terrorism, not just murder, the first time that an openly misogynistic attack has been called terrorism in Canada. This is a major milestone, especially for a country that had one of the first major misogynistic attacks in the, the history of the modern Western world, that is the massacre at the Ecole Polytechnique in Quebec, Montreal. Moving on to Ireland, there's increasing unrest in Ireland and anti-immigrant violence, some of which involves, or at least is implicated in, the major Irish celebrity, Conor McGregor. These riots in Ireland, specifically in Dublin and also throughout the rest of the country, follow a stabbing spree in which, which the right wing blames on immigrants. This stabbing spree involved the stabbing of three schoolchildren in Ireland. There has been no substantiation, no reason to believe that the people who committed this act of violence against these schoolchildren were in fact immigrants or were not white Irish people. However, the right wing has not been, uh, you know, late to just like guess, to just like surmise that these people were in fact people of color or immigrants to Ireland. And they just immediately assumed that that was the case and began rioting about it. 34 people were arrested during the looting and violence of these riots in Ireland. The police has engaged in a serious crackdown on right-wing violent activity in the country. However, that has not really let up with this violence. It seems as if it might continue unabated, or at least that it might come back. This is at least in part because of the involvement of prominent right-wing, or at least increasingly known to be right-wing, political actors and public figures in Ireland, including the major Irish celebrity and professional MMA fighter, McGregor. Conor McGregor was one of the uh, former UFC champions, and this is a type of fighting that is much respected and lauded amongst the right-wing people in the Western world. So Andrew Tate is a perfect example of this kind of person. Conor McGregor is one of the most successful UFC fighters in history. He, in this particular period of the riots, was known for stoking this violence. He posted on social media platforms that the people of Ireland are, quote, at war. One wonders with whom? With, 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 with people who have immigrated to Ireland legally? With refugees who are being given a second chance in a terrible life circumstance? With the government of Ireland? With the left? You know, who does he think that they're at war with, right? You know, people who say that kind of shit, they never usually say. He's also said, Conor McGregor, that the people of Ireland, that these rioters, quote, won't back down. Again, this is him saying like, hey, we're going to keep fighting. Like we want to keep militating and agitating in the street. If you wanted to find a fascist strongman, you could do a lot worse than a former UFC champion, right? Like McGregor could be trying to position himself to do something other than just being an ideologue here. But probably he's just being a dickhead who, like, is a right-wing asshole and, like, just saying these things because he actually believes them. That's probably the situation. Continuing on with news of right-wing riots, the United Kingdom extremist Stephen Zyengsley Lennon, a.k.a. Tommy Robinson, he actually has a, a number of other pseudonyms and noms de plume, uh, he was arrested this week when he refused to leave a protest against anti-Semitism. The largest protest against anti-Semitism seen in the United Kingdom since a 1936 street battle against the British Union of Fascists. 
Yaxley Lennon is one of the main leaders of the right wing in the United Kingdom today. He formerly worked for the United Kingdom Independence Party, the party largely behind pushing for Brexit votes. He is also a convicted criminal for stalking, for libel, and a series of other crimes, only recently released from prison. More riots in other European countries this week. Far-right riots in France have intensified, uh, at least intensified over the weekend, after fascist thugs descended on a neighborhood in a southern French town, which was populated by people of color. A local white young man was killed there, and again, these fascist thugs assumed that the people who lived in that neighborhood that were responsible, right? They, they decided that they were going to hold this entire community responsible for what happened to a particular person being in that particular place. This is precisely the way that right-wing logic works when it comes to race, and especially to immigration. They believe that people are responsible for the actions of individual people in their communities, and they think that particular communities are particularly prone to violence. That's what the right-wing believes that's how they perpetrate and perpetuate their violence. In electoral news, I spoke about this in my Tuesday episode, but Geert Wilders is the new prospective prime minister of the Netherlands. He is a prime minister prospective under the Party for Freedom. He has sent up some trial balloons for potential people that he might enter a coalition with. Recall that Netherlands prime ministerships and the parliament of the Netherlands is particularly fractious, right? That there are usually a bunch of small political parties that are part of a political coalition. Wilders might have a hard time finding coalition partners, especially because it seems like his, his initial trial balloons for these coalitions have failed to the extent that the person that he appointed to find coalition partners basically resigned almost immediately. That's not a good start. It, it, it indicates that he's going to have a tough uphill battle to get a majority in the Dutch parliament. Moving on to Argentina, to Argentina's incoming president, Javier Millet. Millet is calling for extraordinary meetings of the Argentine Congress and a total transformation of the Argentine economy. However, the thing that I want to note here is that he acknowledges that at first, his plans for Argentina, which include pegging the Argentine peso to the value of the United States dollar, it includes also massive austerity measures, things like that, he acknowledges that these might at first cause a massive increase in inflation and problems with the economy, which are the reasons that he was able to successfully defeat the Peronists in the first place. Now, this is bad and terrifying news for a lot of people in Argentina. It means that a lot of their lives could be significantly, significantly worse. Additionally, I want to remind you all that the last time that Argentina had an economic crisis as bad as the one that Millet is sort of almost saying might happen, Argentina had four presidents in under three years, one of which had to literally flee protesters by helicopter as those protesters were converging on the presidential palace in Buenos Aires. So we don't, we still don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I am talking about George Mercurius, a Greek founder of a small fascist party. Mercurius was born in 1886 in Athens to a stable political family. His father was actually the mayor of the city of Athens and therefore extremely powerful. His brother would later go on to become a prominent leftist politician, but that's another story. Mercurius and his father were both conservatives, and that is the vein of their politics for the rest of their lives. Mercurius went to law school in Athens and then more school in Paris. 
He joined the Greek parliament from the mid-1910s through 1929, although he was briefly exiled to Corsica by some Greek nationalists at the conclusion of World War I. He later joined the Greek cabinet as the Minister of Food and Planning, and later also as the Minister of the Economy. He was also the Greek delegate for the League of Nations. So, so far, so pretty standard, sort of, you know, conservative, you know, like political baby, Nepo baby type stuff, right? You know, he, he got his jobs because of his father's jobs. He got his position because of his father's connectivity. And he was just riding on his father's coattails, right? That's what he did through the 1920s. By the 1930s, with the success of the Nazi party in Germany, and the rising tide of fascism throughout the rest of the Western world, Mercordus decided that he was going to hitch his wagon to a different team and instead joined the fascist universe. In December of 1932, he founded the Greek National Socialist Party, which was, of course, named after the German National Socialist Party, but was really more modeled on the Italian fascist party and ideas of corporatism and, you know, like, volunteerism and, you know, like inspiring the belief of people who are veterans of the war and also reorganizing society along more quote-unquote natural or quote-unquote organic lines. This is pretty standard fascist stuff for the 1930s. He was particularly of these kind of fascists, sort of a Germanophile. However, that basically puts him straight down the middle between Italian fascism and German fascism in the 1930s. He attended the Fascist International in 1934. This was a meeting held by Mussolini in an attempt to get fascists to unite in the same way that communists and socialists did prior to World War II. He personally met Mussolini and was also a participant in a bunch of other international fascist activity. Once Greece was occupied by the Nazis during World War II, he, like many other good little fascists, thought that he was going to finally get his due and be able to participate in the governance of the country that he would, you know, he wanted to run in the name of Nazi Germany's fascism. However, like most of these other quote-unquote good little Nazis, he did not get what he wanted. Instead, the Germans largely handed the running of the country over to the Greek military, whom they much preferred dealing with rather than dealing with these like fucking crazy true believer types, right? That's what they typically tried to do in most of their occupations. They, they tried to avoid dealing with other fascists because they were ideologues, right? They didn't want to deal with that crap when they were dealing with military occupations, right? They just wanted to deal with the rest of the military. As a sort of consolation prize, Mercordus was given the leadership of the Greek Central Bank in 1943. However, he only held that position for a very short period of time when he died of a heart attack later that year. On a date that I have not been able to pin down, other than that it was in December of 1943, if somebody can tell me a more exact date, potentially using Greek sources, please let me know. Because it was December, I just put it in an episode that deals with the week of the beginning of December. So, George Mercordus, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Instead of my Patreon, or frankly, most anybody's Patreon, please go to a charity of your choice dealing with the major conflicts that are happening in the world. I might suggest Medicine Sans Frontières, that is Doctors Without Borders, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, or the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. 
I also want to ask that you reach out to me on my Gmail, my Twitter, and my Blue Sky regarding questions. So here are my social media accounts. You can reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at hiss of the right. That's H I S T of the right. And also on fascism 15 on Twitter. And I am on Blue Sky at 15 M I N S O F F A S C. That's 15 mins of fash. Please reach out with questions that you have about the right wing, about fascism, about the history of the right wing and how it interacts with the rest of the political world. I want to put together some question and answer episodes, and I would love to do that with questions that you've submitted. I've gotten some questions already. It's very exciting, very fun. Please reach out, send me more questions that you have. I would love to respond to them in future episodes. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week.